Welcome. You're listening to the Golf Under Par podcast. As the title suggests, on the GUP, we talk about all things relating to golf performance, so you can golf under par. While listening, you'll hear discussion on all facets of golf, physical, mental, and whatever else will make you a better golfer. I'm your host, Dr. Jeremy McCullough. I'm a golfer myself, as well as a physical therapist and strength coach. Let's take this journey together to golf under par. Thank you for listening. Now let's dive in. Hey guys, welcome to the Golf Under Par podcast. I'm here with our guest, Leighton Peebler here. Uh, super excited to have him on here. He's the co-owner of Florida Physio. Uh, he's a physical therapist and a golf fitness expert. All right, he, he is uh, Florida Physio. They do. He works specifically with the golfers there, and they also work with baseball players. So if you got either one of those and you guys are in that Tampa area, if I'm not mistaken, right, Pe- yeah, uh, Leighton? Okay. And so, yeah, check him out, and we'll have all the links in the in in the show notes, and you can check him out there. Lane, so much, thank you so much for being on, and welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, I can't help to reflect back to when we collabed on some of those quarantine experience or experiments. Uh, I had my my simu- simulator set up at home instead of in here when uh, we were kind of slow and everything was shut down. And- um, that was kind of fun to do that. So thanks, thanks for having me on the show too. Yeah, no, it's great to to kind of bounce ideas off of people. So let's hopefully we get some uh, more ideas bounced off through here as we have our discussion. Uh, I always start with talk, asking everybody, kind of, how did you get into golf? Yeah, that's uh, my dad was a uh, a golf pro, and so he played mini tour stuff, and and. Um, you know, he won some events in Illinois and, and different things. So he was a professional golfer that kind of turned into a teaching pro. And so he was at a country club that was in the area we grew up. And so my, my brother and I were there pretty much um, on the weekend. And uh, since, since we were, you know, I, I would guess probably seven or eight years old or so. And uh, we, w- we spent more time fishing and like probably racing and crashing golf carts than we did working on our golf game but there was definitely plenty of golf being played uh when we were that age and then um that's where things really started for me cool and and you went on play in college as well right yeah and so so with that story a lot of people's a lot of people's journey with that oh your dad was a golf pro you started when you were really young you probably went up through the junior ranks and then got a scholarship and played golf somewhere so mine was a little different in that I, I didn't have any interest in golf in junior high and high school. It was kind of, uh, I was into football and basketball and baseball and I played and ran track. And so I, I did all those sports and actually I preferred football over golf and that was the same season. So in high school, I was a football player and um, really didn't start getting serious about golf until I was 18 years old. And then of course I started school already and uh um, my, my game improved summer to summer. I was working at the golf course and that, and then, um, the summer before my senior year, we had there were walk on tryouts, I guess the summer before my junior year, I, I really started hanging out with the guys on the golf team at Southern Illinois. And then there was a walk on tryout and I didn't make it. Um, and then, but I worked at the course they played at, I knew the coach and then, and then the following summer, I played well in this tournament called the Dippin' Dots Amateur. And then coach got a little more interest in me. And then the guys were really supportive of me, too. And we had another kind of walk-on series. 
and uh, it was tough. It was a grind. I, I, uh, I, I remember having a bad last day, and then the coach still pulled me aside and said, "Hey, don't let this, don't let this bother you. We're gonna. The guys want you on the team. They, you know, they, you know. I, I think it was not more about my golf game. It was more about the morale and the positivity type stuff that." the camaraderie I had with the guys that probably got me on the team more than my skill set and stuff. But, but that ultimately led to that and got a nice taste of uh, my last year of college of what it was like to be a college golfer at a small division one school. That's cool. That's awesome. I'm more than what most people could say, right? <laughs> yeah, it was totally, just totally a surprise really. Um, if I could have played college football, if I was a little bigger and a little faster, I probably would have done that. But, Right, right. I mean, football is one of the uh, the sexy sports, right? And you know, that's where that's where everybody wants to. Oh, the football star, the, the whatnot. So right, right. No girls oh. chasing after golfers at my <laughs> school. <laughs> right, exactly. So I uh, know that. I mean, I played football, basketball, and luckily golf was not uh, during football season, so I was able to play golf uh, as well. So yeah, yeah. I definitely agree. At that time, basketball was my main priority. Oh, I want to play basketball and whatnot. But yeah, I loved golf growing up too. So, so as a as a physio and and a golf fitness expert here, what what are some mistakes that you see golfers make all the time that you'd like to debunk for for our listeners here? Yeah, and I think even early in my um, career, and and even as a player, you you too many people try to mimic the golf swing in the gym and gentleman came in last week and it was his first consult and uh, uh, most you know a common question i'll ask what are you doing in the gym and he wanted to be he was so proud of this kind of routine he had set up and he's got the cable set up really high and he's he's pulling down and then he switches it the other direction and he's pulling up and he's mimicking the golf swing with really heavy weight and he's showing me how strong he is and and just just you know, you have to meet people's expectations and, and kind of nod, but then it's it's how you educate them about, you know, you're really good at rotating. Why are you why are we trying to do this in a slow, heavy fashion when we want you to be fast in rotation? Let's look at some other motions, you know, in the sagittal plane or frontal plane, not necessarily the transverse plane. So I think that people think golf exercise should look like the golf swing when it probably couldn't be further from the truth. You're pretty you know, most people are pretty good at rotating and with that being said, I mean, we prescribe stuff that can mimic the golf swing in, in a lot of ways. And a lot of times I, I, I put my PT hat on and use it as more neuromuscular re-education. I know a lot about the golf swing. I've taken hundreds of lessons. I, I'm probably step on toes of golf pros and instructors because um, I can see faulty movement patterns and then we can prescribe an exercise yeah. to help someone um, cover the ball a little bit better or, 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 or get a little more trail arm external rotation or something like that. So, yep. Yeah, yeah I agree. Like, you know, when, when there's the, the rule of uh, specificity for training, right? You know, if you, if you want yeah, something, it's not, it's not about, you know, what does it have to look like? It's what are you wanting the adaptation to be? Right. And yeah, obviously yeah. you setting you setting golf is, is about that speed is the main thing that we're looking for you which is, is so why do we train, you know, like I said, the heavy through those movements when really we're just looking to, to get muscles that respond quickly and, and that can give us that fast twitch fibers or however you want to, you want to describe that as. Right. Right. If a, if a, you know, 
the, in Florida, you play golf year round. Of course, a lot of people mellow out this time of year, but, but you got guys that are hitting balls four, five, six days a week, and, and you get them in here and you're having them doing you know, 10, 20 pound med ball rotation throws like this repeated, and then they're going to go hit 200 balls. It's, it's counterproductive in a lot of ways. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's a repetitiveness, right? And like mm-hmm. 80% of injuries in golf are, are from repetitive injuries. So yeah. if we can lead we wrist to to, and lower back, right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. So it's, we want to use our strength training to become resilient to those movements and not just adding more and more rotation to it. I mean, I guess one of the big things with like the overspeed training that we see a lot of times is like, oh, let's go ahead and add 100 as fast as you can swing speeds, sure. right? And you're like, okay, well, that's great, but if you're already doing a couple hundred swings throughout the week for your 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 golf training, then you're adding that much more repetitiveness to your to your activities. So, excellent yeah, point. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big supporter of the super speed stuff, and even in the little time that that system's been out, it's uh, I run the clinics, right? They have a, a clinic that they run, and we, we screen everybody, you know, I have to tell people, no, you're not ready for this. Or, you know, we have to screen and evaluate someone before we get them on the speed piece. And then if they qualify for the, the clinic, um, there's always a exercise component that kind of goes with it. Hey, try these exercises to manage this or make sure you're doing this. And, um, yeah, the, the, the speed, just like you talked about football being the sexy sport, the, the super speed system, that's a sexy thing, right? And it works. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I've done it for over a year, maybe close to two years now. And and when I stop, my speed drops. I mean, it, the stuff works, but you really have to marry, you know, power is what speed and strength combine. And so you really have to marry the speed strength training with the strength training too. And um, it, it's it's uh, the American way is like, give me the results now and, and you know, crack my back or, um, dig your thumb in this or give me speed sticks and really the stuff that, you know, it makes sense. The stuff that really works is the stuff that's the hardest to do and you have to work at it, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. Usually I tell people, you know, it's the small, simple uh, things done consistently that lead to, you know, the result of the greatness yeah. that we're looking for. Fundamentals. Yeah. Fundamentals. Like my golf swing, always working on setup, grip, posture. It's like, it's, it's really simple stuff. And, uh, that's what matters the most, no doubt. Yeah, one of the one of the cues that I came away with from from my most recent lesson, and it was actually before all this COVID stuff, but um, was an inch or two before, in front of the ball. That was my foot. Like that was basically what I got walked away from. I was like, just focus on the inch or two in front, so you're not coming you're coming down the ball, right? Rather than trying to scoop it, right? Right. Anyway, so super simple, but that was that was what I came away with. I was like, okay. Oh, no, I mean, that's good. I mean, that's an external cue, right? We always talk about like external external cues when we're, when we're, you know, versus an internal cue when it comes to sports-specific things being pretty powerful for the psychology piece and that. Yeah. Having that internal feeling maybe before you're over the ball and then when you're over the ball having like a, you know, target oriented or intermediate target or something external you tends to reduce the best result rather than being, Oh, I need my hand here, this here, that there, you know, no doubt. Yep. Yep. Definitely. I agree. Um, so I wanted to go back. You mentioned you guys, when you're doing your speed clinics that you have a little like screening process. Can you kind of talk a little bit about what that is for the listeners so that they can like maybe know what, Hey, maybe, maybe speed, speed training isn't right for me. Yeah, definitely. So, um, I have each client when they sign up. So the country club sends out an email 
to all their members. You know, we have this club at speed training. It's with a physical therapist who does golf fitness. Um, um, and then, but you have to meet with him first. And so everyone schedules a 30 minute appointment with me and they answer a questionnaire before about any previous injuries. And then the things that I'm looking for are, are you know, obviously those previous injuries, but if there's pain currently, and then, and then we want to make sure that their rotation centers are kind of checked off. So shoulder, cervical, thoracic, lumbar, hip, and, um, I'm watching for things like that. Sometimes I'll send them through some strength testing as well, like um, the glute bridge and look at where they're feeling those symptoms there. Um, I'll do some shoulder testing, things like that. And then um, um, I take them through the protocol too, like half of the first protocol to see if anything comes out. And then I touch base with them two days later to make sure they're okay after the first part of the protocol. So for for the listeners, this the, the people that aren't, actually putting on the speed clinic and that I think that if, if you're not a regular exerciser, if you're not someone who has a, a fitness regimen beyond walking or getting on the elliptical speed training is probably not for you to jump into right away. We, we, we got to lay a foundation of, I always talk about mobility first, stability, second strength, third, and then, and then you can get on power and speed. And so, if you're not if you're not through level one, which would be mobility, or if you, well, I guess level one would be the injury. If you if you don't have an injury, you better better make sure mobility is okay. If mobility is okay, you better make sure stability and strength are okay. And uh, you know, a, a provider, even a trainer, a PT, someone someone can can check off those boxes and make sure that you're a good candidate um, for speed training, for sure. Yeah, no, I agree. Because I mean, you get to that point of you know, if if you don't have the mobility, then you're running that risk of. Uh, I always use the example of trying to put a, a a square peg into a round hole, right? You're just trying yeah. to drive something home, yeah. and it's it's not something's gonna give, right? And so that's right. that's not something that we want with that. And then if you don't have that strength, then you're not generating the force to actually get better. So and you're not as resilient to that movement. Right. So then you run that risk again of of potential injury and. And so if you haven't been doing those, so I think that's great. Like if you're not on a regular training program, then it probably is not going to be ideal for you, but you can definitely get checked out from, from somebody. Obviously we're biased being uh, providers and, and doing that stuff, but I think yeah. that's the best way to minimize your risk and to make sure that you're optimizing or maximizing the results of, of doing that speed training. Right. Yeah. The volume's high. I mean, I know Chris Finn has some, some nice protocols out there that are cut yeah, the volumes cut way down, and we we customize a lot of a lot of our protocols here too, and um, when people are appropriate for it. But the it's hard. The first time I'm at the speed clinic, even people who qualify to be in it, the first time they go through the whole thing, you know, they're just like, holy cow! Like it, the volume's pretty good, and then mm -hmm. when you combine that with uh, the radar there and then nine other guys or gals doing it together it gets kind of competitive in that way and uh um you can see where things could turn for worse in mm -hmm. in a hurry when people are comparing them to other people and comparing themselves and you know we have to we have to all even the even the old wise guys you got to put them back in back and check and say hey this isn't about how jim's doing it's about how you were doing from the week before and the week after and and we're just chipping away at these little problem areas that are individualized to you. It's not a comparison and it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so let's go to the next thing here. So what would 
if you had like one, I'll let you even choose two things that you'd work on with, with golfers from either a fitness standpoint or just in general, you know, improving your performance, what would that be? Gosh, um, I think there are four ways to get better at golf and I'm not really sure. I, my, my, my opinion on the order of this changes all the time, but one is technique, what you're doing. Two is um, your body. You know, that's probably your best piece of equipment and what your body can do. Three is your equipment. Does your equipment fit you properly? Um, I've went through a fitting recently and it always blows me away when my swing changes or slows down how, how much a shaft or things like that can affect yeah. the ball flight. And then, and then, and then the mental aspect, your, your pre-shot routine, the decisions you're making on the course, how, you know, whatever mental toughness is, but that piece of it too. And so, you know, if we're really going to help golfers, there needs to be a quarterback of those four things, but from a body standpoint, um, too many golfers, this is pretty generalized focus more on flexibility and mobility and, and, and not enough on strength. And so if we, if we kind of went down that funnel, and kept it in the strength realm, um, lower body, uh, like vertical force, like pushing up from the ground, both double leg and single leg. So, you know, your goblet squats, um, I like split stance squats rather than someone going in and out of a lunge, staying stationary and working up, stationary and working upwards. So if I had to work on one thing with what we see the golfers that come in here, uh, it could be confirmation bias, but it seems like a lot of them need that lower body stability the strength uh, of, of pushing upward and, and that, and, and we know how important like lead leg vertical forces and the downswing for producing club head speed. And so, um, you know, we, we use the ground and that, that would be, um, if golfers are going to improve club head speed, improve their golf game, maybe take stress off things like back. Even, even if you, if you got really down the kinetic chain, and said, hey, you got wrist and elbow problems. Let's check your lower body strength. And people are like, what? And, you know, yeah, you're coming mm -hmm. up and out of it. You're, you're not able to control your hips and pelvis very well. Your, your, your hips are coming forward. And it's, it's, it's kind of the donkey plug, you know, coming forward. And, you know, you don't have – so when you stand up, you're throwing your arms at the ball, and it's causing some stress to your wrist and elbow. That blows – I mean, I have like some smart business owners, smart, smart guys come in here. They're like, so you're saying my right hip is causing my left wrist pain. And I'm like, I'm, I'm saying there's probably some relationship there. Right. You know, you've been doing elliptical and yoga for the last six years and you, you, you can't even squat um, your hips below your knees and you're 50 years old. Like this is a problem, you know? Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, yeah, I think the lower body, you mentioned like the single leg. I, I like that because you, you that stability and the driving the force um, vertical. I was going to ask is so with regards of balance in, in that golf swing. Do you feel like that's the best way to to train the balance there? I, I've taken this uh, course called the Ultimate Golf Lesson. It's really for swing instructors, and they look they do this screen where they look at where someone rotates. So TPI, you stand on one leg you rotate internal and external and you stand on the other leg and it's very symmetrical, right? And so this screen that uh, um, Mike Adams, he's number two in Golf Digest, Terry Rolls, these guys are, they get, combined they have over 100 PGA Tour wins, probably 15 majors. They're, they know what they're talking about when it comes to swing, right? And they do a, a screening where they look at whether you're a rear poster, a center poster, or a lead leg poster. So 
examples on tour. Gary Woodland, he gets to his right side really good. He's a rear poster. Tiger Woods, Rory, they're more centered, meaning they're staying on both legs as they turn. And then Bryson DeChambeau, he's, he's, he's an Aaron Baddeley. There's another example. They're on their lead leg. And so I think that I think that TPI or, or the way we evaluate golfers can get into a little bit more of figuring out some of okay, how with force plates and things like that, uh, which leg is that person posting on and which leg are they pivoting on? And then we prescribe exercises accordingly. So, you know, if Bryson DeChambeau ever, why would he change who he's working with? Um, if he ever came in here and I know he's a lead leg poster, I better make sure the stability on that leg in all planes is really, really good. And I'm not maybe going to worry as much as about the rear leg. So from a balanced stability standpoint, I think it depends on the person in front of you. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I do prescribe balance exercises. They're dynamic and they usually come in the form of like single leg um, RDL type stuff like, hey, this is for your balance. But I know it's going to strengthen up hammy and glued and that posterior yeah. chain stuff or I may have them stand like a hinge and rotate upper body while there's, you know, just, and it's a great way to get people to buy in too. It's like, all right, stand on one leg. And a lot of guys fail at that. Stand on one leg, close your eyes. A lot of guys fail at that, but then you make it dynamic. All right, now stand on one leg, rotate your upper body. Now stand on one leg, do a hip car on the other leg and see if you can, and they're like, oh my gosh. And then, you know, really, but for some reason, balance and flexibility really gets people to buy into this. And then you can, I don't know, you could call it unethical, but you can trick them into strength training with, this is going to help your balance, you know. I yeah. hope that answered your question. Yeah, no, I mean, I just, we um, hear a lot, or we see a lot of, you know, different uh, exercises to help balance and whatnot. And when we're talking about a sport that is so dependent upon generating power or speed, right, then we diminish that with certain activities, right? So I think what I'm referring to is like we've seen the, the Justin Thomas kneeling on boat suit ball, right? And just getting a, uh, like, yeah, that's not training. that's that's not the kind of stability that we're looking for in golf. It's more like that single leg. I like the dynamic aspect that you were talking about, where hey, if you can stand, you stand it on one leg and having to turn that upper body. I like that, or you know, the single leg uh, RDL. Those are those are great ways of having to create that stability, working on balance, but you're getting another benefit to it, where right. you know of being able to do that dynamically or whatnot rather than just standing on the one leg or trying yeah, I was, to I was I, you know I'm at my office I there's I was making sure there wasn't anything that my business partner <laughs> snuck in here because we don't own any BOSUs um the Swiss ball in the corner has dust on the top of it I'm pretty sure and the, the foam pads like the Airx pads are used for kneeling chop and lift stuff so people don't have to kneel on the rubber I mean Right. Um, and we're a rehab clinic, and I think there's a pretty good body of literature that supports if someone's rehabbing, you know, say an ankle injury, for example, that that stuff is beneficial. But, yeah, we that's 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 a huge misconception. And whether it's marketing or to get more follows or something, people who are posting that stuff on, you know, stand on a Swiss ball. And I'm, I've been guilty of that. Um, I look back at a post from 2013 where I was swinging a club on top of a Swiss ball at my first job and just for fun and, you know, a gimmicky thing. And, but you know, that, that, that it just, I mean, it's so silly. Like, why would you want to be, when you really have a conversation with someone about it, it, it you, 
it makes it's so silly to just stand on something unstable and think that it's going to help you. We want to learn how to use the ground. We really like if you watch those junior golfers, the juniors that come in here, I'm always so blown away with how how much they 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 know how to use the ground in that. And uh, um, whereas the, the old guys who are stiff, it's very armsy and just trying to you know mm -hmm. it's all thoracic arms type stuff and teaching them to use the ground kind of goes back to that my favorite exercises are those vertical forests split stance progressions things like that very good cool yeah so in in wrapping up here so let's just ask you a handful of questions kind of about what you uh what you do so what about your uh, favorite golf course or your favorite golf memory the city tournament one year this is kind of bragging, but I, I didn't win. But it's a four-round tournament in Danville, Illinois. The first day was that a course that I had won events at before, and so I was so pumped to play it. You know, I, I, and I hadn't shot over 68, I think, at that course in over a year. I mean, I played it so well, and uh, I came out the first day and shot 75. And um, you know, you're just so disappointed in yourself. And I, I kind of had a careless evening that night, and maybe went out and. And, and partake too much. And the next day, my tee time was eight in the morning or so. I wasn't feeling well. I didn't hit any range balls. And I just kind of rolled from the parking lot to the first tee. And number one's a short par five. And, and I eagled one, birdie two, and shoot 30 on the front and get myself to three under or something. And then I shot 34 on the back. So my lowest round ever was hung over like you wouldn't believe. And, uh, um, I still relive those glory days uh, of shooting seven, eight under, 64 and stuff like that. And the kid that ended up winning, um, so that was the course record for that course for one year. The kid that ended up winning shot 62 there the following year. And he plays on the PGA Latin America now. He won, I think I shot 74 or 75, 64, 72, 74 and lost by 12 to this dude. And wow. he's still out there playing, making a living off of golf. And here I am physical therapist but but that that's probably my favorite memory favorite golf course that's tough to say it's got to be the friendly confines of home where my dad and grandpa my stepdad you know all of the course that we played so much every time I go back there it, you know you know the greens you know the I, I don't know I, I it's just it's just the last time I was back there it was my lowest round of the year last year just because it's the comfort level and things like that yeah that's a good question all right, and who should we have on the podcast? Wow, that's a good question. My uh, my roommate from PT school works with. Uh, he would be a good one, probably, and he has a unique perspective because he's not a golfer, and um, he sees things that golfers and golf fitness guys probably don't see, and so I think that's where he's an asset because. Um, he catches things that I, I probably may not be looking for. I, I can't think of a specific example, but um, um, his, he was a soccer player in college and then probably works mostly with baseball players down in Jupiter area, West, uh, West Palm Beach. But he's a, he's a cool guy, really smart, really great physical therapist. And uh, um, he, he would be, a, I bet he, I don't know what, how all the details he can share. He'd probably kill me that I shared that I told you that he's working with him, but Hearing some, you know, he's he's consulted me on a few things like what about this, what happened with this or that, and and uh, 
he's smart enough to know, but but that he'd be a good one. His name's Adam Rashwan, and I can make an introduction for you. All right. Thank you so much for uh, coming on here, Layton. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for thanks for having me on. Uh, it's really cool. You got some good stuff you're putting out there, and uh, um, it's awesome that we can all support each other. So sounds good, man. Oh, before you go, actually, uh, let us know how how can we support you uh, with what you're doing. Yeah, yeah Florida Physio. Um, dot com. That's our website, and then we're, we're at that handle on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And um, I, I, I have some online stuff. I do online things, but I'm really prefer the one-on-one -on -one office visits. We don't double book or triple book. It's always individualized and one-on-one -on -one at our office. That's where we get the best um, best results, no doubt. Again, thank you so much. That's it for this episode of. The Golf Under Par podcast. Thank you, Layton. We'll have all his notes in the show notes. And thank you guys for listening. Take care. All right. See you. Bye. Hey, guys. If you enjoyed this content, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes so that we can get this in front of more people. Thank you. Do you want to take your fitness to the next level? Join our Golf Fitness Tips Facebook group to learn more about how you can improve your fitness and improve your golf game by helping your potential through mobility, strengthening, and wellness tips. Again, our Facebook group is Golf Fitness Tips. We'll see you there. Have a good one.